Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com. You're listening to Move Forward Radio, a podcast featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts with advice on how you can move forward. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Reese. We're here today to give you the scoop on poop. More specifically, and at the risk of losing ourselves in alliteration, we're here to give you specifics on why taking a positive approach to your pooping performance from prioritization to posture is a positive thing with potentially powerful health benefits. Joining us in this episode is Jen DeVia, a physical therapist who isn't shy about discussing matters that most of us might like to keep behind closed bathroom doors. In fact, she's enthusiastic about educating people on how to break bad bowel habits because the negative consequences of not doing so, it turns out, can be quite significant. She's here to tell us why holding it is bad, why commode design is suboptimal, why lingering can be ill-advised, and that there's actually a not at all gross hands-on activity you can do to help ease the waste elimination process. Who knew? Well, Jen did. So without further ado, let's get this conversation started. So, Jen, we're about to talk about something that most people tend to not want to discuss, but to quote the name of a well-known children's uh, book, Everyone Poops. So let's start by talking about the importance of bowel health, just in kind of a general way, why does it matter? Well, everyone knows when they don't go poop, our bowel health does impact our quality of life. Who wants to go through life with a bloated abdomen, feeling gross and sluggish, and just overall crummy? Defecation is meant to remove waste from the body. And having stool in your system longer than necessary can really not make you feel good. Constipation can also cause reduced activity and decreased work productivity because we just don't want to move, which is actually counterproductive for our system. So before we get into specific issues and the ways to address them, uh, Jen, you're, you're a physical therapist. What does bowel health have to do with physical therapy, which it seems safe to say most people probably don't immediately associate with bathroom habits? So as a physical therapist, I'm trained to treat muscle dysfunction, and I'm a special type of physical therapist that specializes in pelvic health that includes bowel and bladder health. And everyone has pelvic floor muscles, which help us stay continent. So these are the muscles that we used for when we were training our toddlers or when we were toddlers ourselves and learned to hold our urine and hold our poop back. These muscles can cause constipation if they're tightening rather than relaxing, and we need to be able to know how to use these muscles properly for our bowels. And this is what allows us as physical therapists to be able to address this because these are muscles in our body. It's kind of interesting. I know that physical therapists often tout themselves as movement experts. This is, this is kind of a different kind of movement, but again, it applies. True. So with movement experts, you know, we could also argue that constipation does require movement of our body. The more active we are, the more regular we are. So the more sedentary we are, the more difficulty we can have eliminating our stools. Now, do bad bowel habits, if you will, often start early in life? And if so, what might those include? Sure. We've all heard stories about the kid who would go underneath the table to poop or would find a corner and would hide from anyone to be able to have his bowel movement in the diaper. And those are the patients that we often hear about as continuing to have bowel problems in adulthood. 
So these children learn to hold their stools and ignore that urge to defecate because either they're embarrassed because they're grunting or maybe someone has made fun of them for having a funny face as they have a bowel movement or they're associating bowels with a negative experience. So oftentimes if a child will have a painful bowel movement because of something they've eaten or maybe an activity or travel, then they get onto the toilet the next time and they don't want to have a bowel movement because it hurt the last time. So that reinforces negatively that they don't want to go to the bathroom and that leads to what we call stool hoarding or just not wanting to let go of that stool because it hurt the last time. So if we can make the defecation experience as pleasant as possible, it often helps these children be able to have these bowel movements without pain, and then they start to learn that it's not a bad thing. What do you mean by making the experience more pleasurable or easier, if you will? So if they're having constipation issues or they're holding their stools and they're keeping it in their rectum longer than they would need to, the rectum is designed to continue to pull water out of the stool. So the stool becomes more and more firm and more and more difficult to pass. And as it stays in the rectum, more and more bulk is added as the colon continues to have the peristaltic movement, the pulsing, if you will, moving the stool through the colon. So then it all kind of clogs up in the rectum and it continues to become a larger and larger amount of stool which then becomes actually more and more difficult to eliminate from the body. But what are some of the best ways to, uh, to, to get around that, to get the child to eliminate properly? So uh, for toddlers, it's best to make toileting a positive experience. So we never want to chastise them for taking too long or for not wanting to get onto the toilet or to be punishing them for having an accident in their pants. We want to make them associate it with a positive experience. We also want to be able to encourage them to be eating healthily. So if they're eating poorly and not drinking water, only drinking milk and never having enough normal fiber in their diet, that will make things more difficult for them to pass. So often their activity level, their diet, and their emotional response to toileting can be very important. Now, some bad habits can, can form in adulthood as well in terms of bad bowel habits, you know, things like illness, sensitivities to food, disease, and so on. Can you, can you talk a little bit about those kinds of causes and how they can affect bowel health? Sure. Sometimes as adults, we continue to eat poorly even though our body is giving us signals that it's not helping. So eating fast food or knowing that we have gluten sensitivities and ignoring that can actually cause constipation, which will then cause more discomfort and, again, leading to some of the same issues that we see in children. These bad habits can also include ignoring their urge to defecate. So oftentimes nurses or teachers or pilots, someone who is not able to leave their job to go take care of their needs, may end up holding their stool more than they should. And that's where having a normal, regular routine becomes important so that they eliminate their bowels first thing in the morning, and that becomes a key routine for their body. So oftentimes having a bowel movement at the same time every day is important. Making sure that you're drinking enough fluids to keep your system hydrated, eating enough fiber, and then even drinking that cup of coffee in the morning can stimulate a bowel movement. So sometimes we hear about the negative effects of caffeine, but caffeine can be a positive 
when we think about bowel health because not only the warmth of the coffee, but also the caffeine itself can stimulate a bowel movement, which can help with regularity. Well, it's interesting. You had contributed to a piece that's available on the uh, MoveForwardPT.com APTA consumer website called Four Things to Know About Adult Bowel Health. And in fact, the first of those four things is don't delay the urge, which again, you're saying it can be quite harmful to do. Exactly. We are taught that we can easily hold our urine and ignore our urge to go without too much trouble because we can say, oh, I have to go pee, but I'm not near a bathroom yet, so it's okay. And we can even expand that to delay our urge to urinate for about an hour. But when we continually ignore the urge to defecate, it actually can cause that rectum to expand and expand, which will eventually cause less sensitivity in the bowel. There is actually a stretch reflex in the rectum that sends a signal when you need to poop. If you overstretch that rectum, it affects that stretch reflex because then you need more and more stool in the bowel to stimulate and activate that stretch reflex. And then in the meantime, the stool becomes harder, and this allows the stool to kind of back up, and then you have a larger amount of stool that needs to pass at one time. A quick break to tell you about Choose PT, the American Physical Therapy Association's national public awareness campaign. America is currently in the grips of an opioid epidemic. In some situations, dosed appropriately, Prescription opioids are an appropriate part of medical treatment. But opioids only mask the sensation of pain, and opioid risks include depression, overdose, addiction, and withdrawal. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is urging healthcare providers to reduce the use of opioids in favor of safer alternatives like physical therapy for treating pain. Learn how a physical therapist can help you at moveforwardpt.com slash choose PT. And now Back to this episode of Move Forward Radio. The second of those four things to know about adult bowel health is listed as being use proper posture. I imagine most people sit on the toilet the same way, sort of like sitting on a chair. Is that not the proper way to do it? And if not, what do you mean by proper posture? In our Western society, we tend to think that our toilets are very well made, that they're the ideal way to defecate. But actually, the more primitive cultures have this aspect of elimination more properly and correct. So we should be getting into a deep squat position because that position actually allows our muscles in our pelvic floor area to relax, to allow us to defecate. So for us to be in a sitting position, you know, I'm sitting down right now, I'm not having an inner urge to defecate and nor should I, nor should I have any loss of stool while I'm sitting. And that's actually the same position that we're asking our bodies to eliminate in when we sit on the toilet. So our ideal posture is actually getting into a deep squat position, which is hard to get into on our toilet. But if we have some of the products on the market today that allow our knees to be higher than our hips, that's a great position to be in. We really want our legs separated with our knees much higher than our hips. And then we can lean forward and have our elbows on our knees. We really shouldn't be straining. So it shouldn't be holding your breath, your face is turning red, and you're pushing with all your might. The normal process for elimination is that we sit on the toilet. We maybe have a grunting or we're exhaling forcefully, but we're not holding our breath. And we allow, allow our abdomen to actually pooch a little bit while our pelvic floor muscles relax. So that actually is the optimal position and technique for eliminating stool, is that relaxation with breathing. 
So it's an exhale as we're relaxing our pelvic floor muscles. It sounds like you're saying in an ideal world, the way commodes are designed would be altered. Correct. I would actually advocate for a shorter toilet, a shorter commode. Um, I know there are times that we need those higher stools, uh, higher commodes, and even our raised toilet seats for those who have had total hip replacements. But often those people are the ones that are having the greatest difficulty with elimination. So if you think about our people with the total hip replacements or joint replacements, they need a higher sitting area for elimination, but because they've been using opioids to control their pain, which causes constipation, and now we're putting them in a higher commode, it actually compounds the fact and it makes it very difficult for these people to have bowel movements. So, yes, I would advocate a shorter toilet. And, you know, as we age, we tend to have less flexibility in our hips and knees, but we actually should have that flexibility in different cultures, especially in Asia. They're able to get into these deep squat positions, even being elderly, and yet our American population has great difficulty in doing this. So I think we've done a disservice having the higher toilets in our society. We actually should have a lower one. Is the type of toilet you advocate commercially available? No. The only type of thing that we have available is a stool that fits around the toilet that raises the knees. So the Squatty Potty is an aid for toileting that's on the market that actually allows us to get into a great position for defecation. It allows us to have those knees higher than our hips, and it allows our legs to be separated to allow for that proper position for elimination. And not just proper position, but ideal position for elimination. Jen, the third thing to know is spend time wisely. There's an old joke that has some basis in truth where people might say, I do some of my best reading on the commode. Uh, now, your tips tend to advise avoiding spending excessive time on the john. Why is that? That is exactly right, that we want to spend our time wisely. If we spend too little time on the commode, we're not allowing our bodies enough time to fully relax and eliminate. So uh, I think of myself as being a busy mom and balancing work and family life, and maybe I don't always allow that time on the commode, but that's really important to fully relax, be actually present in the moment, if you will, and allow our bodies to relax rather than multitasking and doing multiple things, answering emails or whatever, having our children interrupt, being able to have that downtime to allow our body to relax. Our nervous system plays a role in this as well, so if we're super amped up and hyper and we can't relax, it'll make it actually more difficult to have a bowel movement. And then on the flip side, if we sit on the toilet and spend 20, 30, 40, even 60 minutes on the toilet, we can actually overstretch those tissues and, and kind of irritate the area. It can even lead to swelling if it's severe enough. I've had a few patients who said, oh, I sit on the toilet and I do my daily reading for the day. I answer all my emails, and I don't understand why they would want to do all of that on the toilet. So that is taking it to the extreme. I think, you know, our fathers may have had it right when they took the newspaper under their arm into the bathroom to, to actually relax, but they shouldn't really be reading more than just the front page. You know, don't be reading the entire newspaper at one sitting. So in other words, maybe bring a section of the newspaper and read the front page, but don't bring the Sunday New York Times in there with you. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. <laughs>
So uh, the final thing to know in that list of four things to know about adult bowel health is perform an abdominal massage. That frankly sounds a little weird to me. So tell me, what's the purpose of that and how does that work? And is it relatively easy to do? So it is actually relatively easy to do, and it's a it's a really great thing to do. There was a case report done by Kendra Harrington where she looked at a patient who had constipation and had taken laxatives and these other things, and nothing was really helping. She had tried increasing her fiber. That didn't help. So she instituted an abdominal massage. And there have been other reports of using abdominal massage for constipation management that actually date back to the 1800s. We've kind of rediscovered this technique again, and it's a great technique that I use to treat a lot of my patients and teach them how to do. So the abdominal massage is meant to kind of help along that normal colonic movement, so that normal peristalsis, that pulsating rhythmic contraction of the colon to move that stool through the colon to eventually be eliminated. So the way you do it is come along the side of the hip. So we want to move in the manner of the colon. So you're going to always start on the right hip, uh, right where the curve of your pelvis comes down. So you do circular motion, small circles while coming up the abdomen to the base of the ribs, and then you're continuing your circle motion across underneath the ribs, coming all the way over to the other side on the left side of your abdomen, and then starting to come down until you hit the top of your hip. Follow the curve of the hip, and then stop as you come close to the bottom of your abdomen, which is near now your pubic area. You're going to skip over that, and avoid touching that middle area because that's the bladder, which doesn't really like to be massaged. And then you're going to continue with that rhythmic circular motion in that kind of U-shape, U-shape as you're looking at yourself, I'll, and repeat that technique several times until it optimally achieves 10 minutes. And what we've found is that for most people who are having constipation, either it will help move things along and allow them to have a bowel movement within 30 minutes, or it helps to ease the discomfort in the abdomen. It can be very effective for patients, especially if they have maybe a neurological disorder, so Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, cerebral palsy, brain injuries, these other disorders where maybe they don't have any normal movement in their colon and they need a little bit of help. But just for the general population, just you and me, if we're having a little trouble and maybe we're traveling and we're eating a little things that are maybe aren't our normal diet and our system isn't used to it, then instituting this massage can actually be effective to kind of getting things moving through our system. Just to be clear, what position are you in while you're performing this abdominal self-massage? I mean, are, are you seated or what? So we want to be relaxed. So you want to be lying down. So ideally, you would be doing this in bed or on a couch. I would not recommend that you do this right before bedtime because it does tend to stimulate a bowel movement within about 30 minutes or so. So you don't want to be starting to fall asleep and then have to go up, get up to go to the bathroom. So do this in the morning, lay down, massage it a little bit, about 10 minutes if you're having issues, and then it should help to stimulate that bowel movement for you. I'm just curious. It seems like there's a YouTube video of just about everything available. I mean, are there videos available online where somebody could actually see what this looks like in practice? You know, I haven't looked at specifically online. There probably is. 
but there is a great picture that was included in that case report that I can give you guys so that you can post on the website. Okay. Okay. That would be helpful. A quick break to tell you about Find a PT, the American Physical Therapy Association's national database of physical therapists. PTs are movement experts who treat people of all ages and abilities, helping them to improve and maintain function and quality of life. Don't wait until you have an injury to see a PT. Contact one today and learn how you can improve your fitness and prevent health problems before they start. You can contact a physical therapist near you, no physician referral required, by going to moveforwardpt.com. And now, back to this episode of Move Forward Radio. So, Jen, is there a baseline then of what are considered sort of normal, healthy bowel habits? And might they vary depending on the individual and his or her characteristics or circumstances? Absolutely. So, healthy is defined with a wide range of having a bowel movement three times a day to three times a week. And it's more important that the stool has a certain characteristic. So, you don't want it to be large. You don't want it to be too hard. It requires you too much force to eliminate nor do you want it to be like little rabbit pellets. It should be soft. They should be easily eliminated. And you don't want to have those little pellets. Oftentimes, the pellets are actually breaking off of a larger amount of stool. And that just is an indication that the stool is in there for a long period of time and that there's no water content, so it's very dry when you're eliminating. And then you can also have some alternating hard stool and watery stools, which can mean that you have a large amount of stool that's clogging your pipes, if you will, and then there may be that watery stool that's moving around that large amount of stool. So it's important to have that regularity, meaning not just that you're eliminating regularly, but also that your stools are consistently the same firmness or softness, really. There's actually a stool chart that allows us to gauge how firm our stools are. It's called the Bristol Stool Chart, and yes, you can giggle a little bit. That's okay. But this stool chart can help us to, to identify which patients are having difficulty with their stools, and maybe they don't even know it. Some people will say, oh, yeah, I have a bowel movement every day. But then when I kind of dig a little deeper and ask them more questions, they'll say, oh, well, yeah, it's these hard lumps. They're very difficult to pass, but I still go every day. Well, that's still considered a problem in the bowel realm. So we want to be able to have those stools softer, kind of like a sausage or a snake. So it's okay to have a little bit of cracks on the surface, but they shouldn't be so firm that it's super lumpy. And I know it's sometimes hard and and we get embarrassed describing our poop, but it's actually a very important aspect. So there's some charts called the Bristol Stool Chart. You can look it up online. There's one for adults, and then we actually have one for kids as well. So... If we're looking at the ones for adults, type one is that there are hard lumps like nuts. Two is a sausage shape but lumpy. Type three is a like a sausage but with cracks on its surface. Type four is like a sausage or a snake that's smooth and soft. Type five is soft blobs with clear cut edges which are passed easily. Type six is fluffy pieces with ragged edges and a mushy stool. So now we're talking about more diarrhea. And then type seven, is watery with no solid pieces, which is entirely liquid. So, again, we want to try to be between that type 3 and 4. And then for kids, we describe it as type 1 is more of rabbit droppings. Type 2 kind of looks like a bunch of grapes clustered together. Type 3 may look like corn on the cob. Type 4 looks like a sausage. Type 5 may be chicken nuggets. 
and then type 6 is um, kind of porridge or oatmeal looking, and then type 7 is gravy. There's also a British stool chart that uses more candy to describe. So milk duds could be the type 1, payday, candy bars are type 2. It, it never would have occurred to me that there could be uh, cultural differences in, the, in, in describing poop. Right. And the British actually have different candy names, but I just use the Americanized candy names because some of them I don't recognize myself. It is funny, the cultural differences on how we can approach these topics with our patients. And clearly, you've learned professionally not to have any embarrassment about uh, the various ways you use to describe poop. You're just, uh, you're just uh, helping people by describing things that they recognize. Right. You know, when I was learning all of this, I had to get all my giggles out. That way, I can really be professional when I'm talking to people so that I can put them at ease and make them realize, yes, this is something we can and should talk about. It's not a taboo topic. Under what circumstances might someone seek the help of a, a professional uh, like you for issues? I mean, what governs that you reach the point where you need to see someone professionally? So most of the time, people are not coming to me through what we call direct access. So most of the time, they are coming because their physician referred them. Um, so the physician will be looking for any of the red flags where we would not want to see somebody but I'll go ahead and list a couple of those now. So you don't want to see anyone who's having black, tarry-like stools because um, that's a sign that they're having some maybe bleeding in their upper gastrointestinal system, so kind of in their stomach, up higher in the system. And then if there's actually blood in the stool as opposed to blood while you're wiping, we don't want to see any stool with blood interspersed with it, any passing of mucus, excessive bloating, or sudden loss of bowel and bladder, those are all red flag issues, meaning that they don't, we won't see them. We'll actually send them to their physician or to an emergency room first. But anyone who's having trouble with hemorrhoids, constant issues with itching in their anal area, as well as a little bit of blood while they're wiping, those are signs that you're having hemorrhoids. And hemorrhoids occur when we have too much pressure in the area. So if you're constantly straining, to eliminate your stools and have chronic constipation, these are the type of people who will have hemorrhoids that will then be a sign that we need to be addressing how they're having their bowel movement. So again, looking at positioning, making sure that they're relaxing, making sure that they have a good diet with enough water intake, um, making sure that they're able to eliminate that stool easily rather than straining. Certain women will have what's called pelvic organ prolapse where their organs are maybe dropped lower than they should be, and those type of people can have a greater difficulty eliminating stool. Sometimes they need to do what's called splinting, where they'll actually put a finger inside their vagina to help eliminate stool because their rectum has dropped forward into the vagina, which is then making it more difficult for them to have a bowel movement. So sometimes I'll see someone with a diagnosis of pelvic organ prolapse and we're actually talking a lot about how they're eliminating on the toilet because, again, any additional strain can cause further damage to their position of their organs, which will then make it even more difficult in the future to eliminate. We also see people with not necessarily the chronic constipation, but more of the opposite where they're losing stool. So maybe they're having fecal incontinence is what we call that, where they're having a little bit of loss of stool in their underwear or they are having issues with a full loss of bowels in their underwear, which is obviously not normal. 
And so any of those issues are important for us to see. We're still trying to get the word out to physicians that we treat this type of thing. Not all physicians are aware of the, the breadth and the scope of what physical therapists can treat. So as a physical therapist, I'm constantly trying to educate physicians in the area and even nationally that we are able to do these types of techniques and work with this population of people because constipation is actually fairly common and it can be very difficult to treat. And it's also one of those things like we talked about in the beginning. It just makes you feel crummy. So we're looking at quality of life, really helping people to feel like they enjoy their life better. Jen Tavia, thank you so much for speaking with us on Move Forward Radio. Thank you for allowing me to speak. You've been listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or find previous episodes at moveforwardpt.com. Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com.